Hello everyone, welcome to this new podcast. Uh, my name is Daily. I'm here with Fiona, our secretary, and Hi. Marie Kobelstetter. Hi! Hi, welcome. Um, thank you for being here to kick this podcast right off. We know you as a PhD student. That's right. Uh, yeah, our TA from last year, of our course. Our TA from last year, for definitely. material studies. Exactly. Yeah. But what might people know you from at the faculty in general? Oh, uh, I think several things. Uh, so you guys know me as TA. Um, I've been also TAing a couple of other classes since you. Um, you don't have exclusivity anymore, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> damn, I feel betrayed, right? <laughs> uh, and I'm a board member of Intersection, um, which is the peer-reviewed journal of the Faculty of Archaeology. So I will tell you more about that later if I understand it right. <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah, and uh, otherwise, yeah, people have might have seen me around, but mostly the PhD thing, I think. <laughs> nice. Um, we always start these podcasts off to get to know you a little bit better, and we do that by rapid fire questions. Sounds good. So, do you prefer camping or hotels? Ooh, camping if it's wild camping. Otherwise, camping grounds, I hate them. Okay. <laughs> um, beach or forest? Oof. Uh, dunes. <laughs> Which counts as beach, I guess, a little bit, yeah. But if not. the do if the beach had a forest, <laughs> if the beach had a forest, I'd be down as well. <laughs> uh, there's like really nice spots in Vasnar, Vasnar Seslag over there, Mindel, um, I think it's called in there. There is like a pine forest, kind of Mediterranean in the dunes. Mm, that's my idea of like a perfect spot. Yeah, I agree. It's really nice there. Like, la lakey beaches. With like forest behind it, they're yeah. the best. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite food? Ooh, um, hmm. Ooh, complicated one. I used to, but then I went vegetarian, so none of my favorite foods I eat anymore. Um, so I would say ramen these days, <laughs> pho, those type of things. Yeah. Book or movie? Um, I mean, I would like to pretend book. But it's movie. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> uh, l like, love myself a good book, but to be honest, I'm just reading all day. The last thing I want to do when I get home at night is read some more. Um, so, movie. And, I mean, before I wanted to become an archaeologist, I wanted to become a movie director. Um, so, it, it's always a little bit of my first love. <laughs> I stick to that. Fair enough, yeah. Do you have, then, a favorite movie? Uh, or series or director Ooh. or actor or uh, actress oh my god possibly double <laughs> so many questions <laughs> hey we uh, didn't see it was the rapid fire <laughs> <laughs> um okay favorite director i would have to say martin mcdonough like i also like gus van zandt uh favorite actor i would have to say gabriel garcia bernal uh, who's a Mexican actor. Um, well, he uh, the Motorcycle Diaries is he plays the young Che Guevara. Mm. And it's like a road-tripping movie on motorcycles through Latin America. Quite recommend. That sounds impressive. <laughs> sounds pretty yeah. good. Do you ride motorcycle yourself that you are so fond of it? or? Uh, no, no. My boyfriend does and I'm working. I will be working on my license once it's kind of safe again. But definitely something I would want to do someday. Yeah. And also your dream to road trip through South America on a motorcycle? Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> Very valid. Yeah, dream trip, for sure. 
That's cool. What would you say is your favorite music genre in general? Um, so I'm into Latin American indie, a little bit, uh, and otherwise folk. Okay, nice. Do you have any pets? Yes. I'm very fond of my uh, two little bunnies at home. Oh, yeah, I saw them on your Instagram. They're so cute. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have a bunny that, who's called T-Rex. And I've got a bunny who's called Dippy, which is short for Diplodocus. <laughs> and I know we're not supposed to do dinosaurs, but I like them very much. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with loving dinosaurs. As long as we make clear, everybody knows it's not our expertise. <laughs> Exactly. So yeah, there are two uh, teeny rescues and I have um, Tortoise, who's um, I've had for 16 years now, um, and who's also living with us and who's called Schnuckle. Schnuckle, <laughs> Schnuckle the Tortoise, I love it. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that's adorable. <laughs> you do a PhD not just at Leiden, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah uh, I'm... My PhD is at Leiden University, but also at the University of Paris-Nanterre uh, in France. So it's co-supervised. Uh, I do spend most of my time here and especially, well, to be fair, just more than what I wanted, just because I haven't been able to travel to Paris lately. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, generally I, I will try and spend one or two months a year in Paris to work on my research over there. And what, what do you research? Ah, uh, so, oof, I, I've been working on this, wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's focused on a little island off Pacific Honduras, um, volcanic cone, five kilometer diameter, very small and gezellig. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, basically, what I'm looking at is that well, the reason I'm looking at this island is it's kind of at a node of uh, pre-colonial uh, pre interaction routes uh, that are from then this this gulf it's situated in uh, redirects towards uh, inland El Salvador, inland Honduras, and inland Nicaragua. Um, so I'm also analyzing some comparative collections from uh, Nicaragua um, and Honduras as well. And uh, my project is also for that cooperating with the University of Tegucigalpa in Honduras. Um, so I'm actually also uh, going to be uh, supervising some of their students' theses and things like that. Oh, that's so nice. And uh, my actual specialization, so that's like a little bit of the geographical framework, is um, technological analysis of lithic and ceramic artifacts. Uh, so that's also why I'm affiliated with Paris, is because um, they're very big on chain operatoire analysis, and uh, my main supervisor over there is specialist in uh, in lithic uh, technology. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so it's it's a little bit of a you know mouthful project wise, <laughs> also a handful, um, but yeah, I'm I'm hoping, hoping to be able to go to the field next year, to be able to start gathering some data. Yeah, it sounds super interesting because on this island, this is a volcanic island. So yep. what what kind of stone tools will we expect there? Is that like... Oh, so it's not only stone tools that I'm doing, but it's, it's any lithic artifact, basically. Um, so on the neighboring island, they found um, little basalt statuettes. 
uh, so portable. Um, I mean, they've been called idols in the past, but technically we don't really know what they are. Um, and metates, so grounds, uh, grinding stones, um, ornamental, uh, ornamental ones. And uh, I would expect some type of uh, obsidian and flint, but then that would have to be imported from the mainland. So that's exactly why it's interesting, right? As soon as you find that, you know, you know there was interaction at some level because there's no source on the island. And um, yeah, ma mainly that. So uh, might be some uh, stone chips mostly. So a little bit more ad hoc technologies. And as far as the obsidian go, if we're lucky, there might be some blades. Uh, yeah. And oh, yeah, there, there might also be some jade. Depending on the trade routes that we're looking at, which we don't know because I need to dig there. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So you're actually going to excavate or is it first surveying still? Um, so next year, if all goes well, which I hope it will, I will be in the field for nine months. Um, that will be three months of looking at comparative collections and interviewing the local community. Uh, that will be um, three months kind of built around surveying, so not pure surveying for three months, but survey and data processing uh, for three months, and then uh, three months of excavation and data processing and analysis. That so is very exciting. It's going to be a long year. What <laughs> <laughs> a fun year. What you get to work year. on your tan. Yeah. Well, we're here in winter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will get to work on my sunburn is more accurate. I relate <laughs> very much. <laughs> there will be no tan here. Especially that sun. Yeah, you seem very passionate about stone. How did you get into that in the first place? Well, actually, let me tell you, I am not a lithicist. Okay. Um, so stone is my newfound passion. I, I'm a ceramicist by training. Um, that's also what I wrote my master thesis about. Uh, but I really was starting to get frustrated with uh, people just focusing on ceramics in the analysis of material of Central America. We have a big problem where really too little people are looking at stones, which means that we really have no clue what's going on. Um, so I really wanted to get trained as much as possible to have a multi-material approach to get a more accurate view of what specializations we're looking at, um, what different trade routes we're looking at or exchange networks. Um, and I mean, on that level, um, ceramic technology and lithic technology really tell you uh, two fairly different stories. Uh, so it's interesting to have both to, to create a little bit more of an accurate overview, I think, of the region. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why you got into lithics. That's why I got into lithics, but I'm still getting trained. So so it's it's fairly new. Okay. <laughs> well, nice. fairly new. A year and a half now. One of the big things in your research is that you also really focus on getting the word out about your research. Publication is a big part of what you do also with Intersection. Yeah, I mean, I don't publish with Intersection. I have published with Intersection in the past when I was uh, just a little master student <laughs> back in the days. Um, and yeah, that was for me a, a first step of it. Um, it. It was it was really nice to get the word out there uh, that early, I think, in, in an academic career. Uh, 
and it was a lot less traumatizing submitting, you know, my second and my third article to legit journals after that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not to not to fear the feedback so much and not to fear the process in general that's that's really been a good really a positive experience with uh, with intersection so that that's helped me out and i mean if anybody out there wants to do a phd i would always recommend trying to get one publication out before you start applying because it really changes how the cards are dealt <laughs> generally in my experience yeah yeah uh, yeah, the, having one that one publication will will already unlock quite a few doors, I think. Uh, you mentioned being afraid of the process, but like, could you explain a little bit more about what the process actually is? Yeah, so uh, of course. So the process with typical peer review journal is pretty straightforward. Um, it's just you basically send them whatever you wrote, uh, and then you have to. Um, wait for quite a long time <laughs> they will send it out basically to peer review um i mean you can get the alternative which is not so nice you can also get a desk what's called a desk re rejection which is somebody takes one glance at your article and they're like nope uh, <laughs> so that's also Pain. quite terrifying but if you're lucky you're going out to peer review and then you're getting the comments from the peer review you have to I mean, except if you did an exceptional job, you will have to rewrite quite a bit of your article. Then you have to resubmit uh, it's g and actually show that you've addressed all the comments from the peer reviewers. Uh, and if the editorial board from the journal is happy with that, you get published. If they're still not happy with that, you get rejected. <laughs> so it's quite a tough world out there uh, in general, I would say, for publication. Um, and that's kind of our mission uh, at Intersection is to get early, early on really um, young academics to submit their research and not have that first trauma, but <laughs> really like just walk them through the whole process. So for example, I mentioned before um, that with regular peer academic journal, you're just sending out um, sending out your paper already written, as it were. Um, here we first ask for a proposal, which is 200 words. And then if there are already problems that can be flagged from the proposal, we like give comments on the proposal, give the opportunity to rewrite several times until we're happy with the proposal. And then um, you can submit the paper. And again, there's a lot of back and forth between the editorial board and the author where we help you improve your paper as much as possible, basically, before we send it out to peer review um, so that you can really get the peer review can really focus on your research instead of focusing on, I don't know, your writing or uh, all the other little problems that need to be tweaked. Generally, there shouldn't be that many like bad surprises from peer review at this point anymore. You will get comments because it's a fair peer review we are sending out the articles to like people that are well regarded in the field you're writing um but you're probably not gonna get that much of a shock anymore um and i mean i got comments as well but it really just improved my paper in the end and uh, the rest of the process was actually very smooth <laughs> <laughs> that's nice <laughs> yeah and then we publish so 
That's also cool, right? Yeah, you say it so happy, but it sounds really intimidating. I can imagine that when you're publishing for the first time, this can be like something to really be scared of. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not gonna say that it's not scary because it always is to put your work out there. One way that I like to look at it is even if it gets rejected, nobody will know because most, I mean, you are contacting the editorial board under your own name, but the peer review will, is fully anonymous. So they will, will never know uh, where it came from. So if even in the off chance they think your research is crap, they'll never know it's you. <laughs> <laughs> so really, there is nothing you can lose in the end. The only thing uh, that is scary, I guess, is the feedback process. Um, but it's also all about point of view, because as I said, I think all the feedback I've gotten in my life, and I've gotten quite a bit of feedback, some of it kind of really shook me up, but in the end it really only made my research stronger. So it's it's all part of being an academic, I would say, but I would see it as a good thing. The more feedback you get, the the better it's gonna, yeah, the more you can improve. It's nice. This seems like a pretty busy um, lifestyle that you're having with researching and... Yeah, uh, I mean, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think any PhD is, uh, to be fair. It's um, it's in the job description, I would say, a little bit. So I, I also am committed in learning to teach. So for me, that's that's also important. So that's why I'm volunteering to teach all those classes. Um, I am absolutely in love with my research project. It's my baby. Um, <laughs> I have been working on it since, oof, before. Well, before I got my PhD position, that that project had been more than two years in the works. So I, I worked quite a bit on it, and um, yeah, an intersection. To be fair, that's kind of my, that's that's maybe part of the most fun things also I get to do because I, I really believe in the research that's being done by junior scholars at, uh, at the university. And I do like that we're showing them that their contribution is valuable. I think as a master's student or as a BA3 student, you're like, mm, what can I even contribute to the field? Like this is just paper. Um, but we are showing students that no, this is your part, you're part of a community, you are contributing, even if it's just a little piece, you are contributing to this. And, um, that's something that I really like doing. And I, yeah, I just like working with kind of the younger generation in, uh, yeah, it's like you guys are the future of archaeology. So I, it's nice to realize it, I think, as a student as well, that's, uh, you know, you mean something to the field. Would you have any golden tips for future aspiring academics? Ooh, um, also a tricky question. Yeah. Do you um, have some things where you think, ah, oh, if I had known this from the start, then I would have changed that immediately? I have a couple of things. I mean, I the one thing that I think Leiden University, because I didn't do my BA here, um, when I came in from my like uh, AMA, I was quite 
I, I would say jealous of the people who got to do their bachelors at Leiden University because you guys get to, you know, be in touch with all those materials from early on. You get to do all those cool internships. Um, you just get so many opportunities to, to actually do actual archaeology, which, um, I mean, the, the only way I any like got any on hands experience during my bachelor's is is working at a commercial company um but that's it so i would definitely say um take advantage of that that's that's golden um do as many internship as you can without overworking yourself that's also very important um one thing that for me kind of changed my life as i would say as an academic is um uh, is being international, so doing a semester abroad in my BA, um, and uh, and I mean coming here as well to a certain extent. Um, so just being familiar with different academic systems, not just one, is is also going to really enrich your archaeological perspectives in the long run, and it looks awesome on your CV. <laughs> not to be published with intersection, I would say. Or another research journal, of course. <laughs> you don't have to publish with us, but you know, get a publication out there, present at conferences. Basically, just take the opportunities you're given when you're offered them, and if they're not offered to you, seek them out. Yeah, that that would be my golden tip. Um, and for people at Leiden University, uh, I would say check out Luf. Uh, they have a couple of grants that they don't somehow advertise but to prepare your own research project <laughs> so also there um, take advantage of that uh, and I would say learn a language if you haven't done so already an extra one you mean well I don't know how many you've got <laughs> me how many do you got me personally yeah? I got four working on five now yeah nice. okay yeah. well you know maybe you don't need an extra one <laughs> than you personally possibly but if you only speak Dutch and English go pick up that extra language yeah fair I, I had a little accident and I definitely did say that at the bachelor uh, I remember <laughs> Really? Marie was like, yes, with a six, but with good connections, you can do anything you want. <laughs> no way, when was this? I think it's, this is a slightly misquote. <laughs> Definitely, I'm I didn't miss six. <laughs> I remember six. I just say it grades is not all that. <laughs> <laughs> Which I should not have said to, you know, bachelor starting. I, I think considering, <laughs> though, the grades over, like, years are pretty okay yeah i think you didn't do irreparable damage on us <laughs> true would you like to take this opportunity to rectify your earlier statements no because okay. i kind of still believe it <laughs> okay. i don't think i don't think saying grades is not everything promotes like you know slacking off i think it just promotes a healthier environment in terms of dealing with failure or like what you perceive as failure for the standards you set for yourself well that's actually very wise and uh yes it's part of what i'm doing i'm i'm just uh i think maybe it just needs a little bit of background uh that was coming from me not getting great grades during my bachelor um uh, because it turns out i'm not very good at taking exams 
uh, which very little people are, and also I believe that exams are useless and like the most useless form of actually testing students on anything. Uh, and as soon as, you know, I started having to write essays, I realized that I was actually a good student. I just sucked at taking tests. <laughs> that's very valid. No. And uh, I, I think that's where that was coming from. So yeah, no tests and, you know, grades does not a bad researcher make. You can have a, the soul of a researcher and still do crap at exams. Do you have a dream research? Well, I think... It's my project. <laughs> Damn. Uh, you know, um, I mean, obviously, especially, you know, talking with you and your crazy budget of a million euros, like for that landscape archaeology course, I'm like, well, with one million euros, I could get shit done. <laughs> um, I think ideally I would look at um the region i'm working in so the gulf of Osaka, but like on a really broad scale um and really making it a fully international project between el salvador honduras and nicaragua um and uh something i'm getting progressively interested in um which is not unfortunately part of my original uh research design is what it's like to just daily life in mangrove forests and uh, so past communities how they navigated uh, mangrove uh, mangrove forests and i mean and lived basically constantly in connection with water and it's it's just a very different way of living that i don't think has abundantly been explored from other perspectives other than purely you know ecological or resource exploitation um, and I, I do think there's, there's quite a bit more to it and uh, that in the region I'm working in uh, those communities kind of had an essential role that just hasn't been explored so far Th that sounds, sounds super su interesting yeah. <laughs> it does yeah um well, you do you do have a call for papers out right now with intersection, right? Yep, I do. So, basically, what are the steps students have to take now if they are interested? Okay, so when we say call for submissions, it's actually a call for proposals. Um, so as I mentioned before, it's that kind of two hundred word proposal, two hundred fifty words proposal um, that you can submit. One person in the faculty needs to sign off on it as kind of being your mentor throughout the writing process of the paper. So they kind of have already vetted your idea to a certain extent, or at least vetted you as a person. Um, and then based on those proposals and how many we get in, um, what we really want to build is uh, an issue in the fall with six to eight submissions. So we will be selecting some proposals. Uh, the ones that can basically start working right away will get work right away. Uh, and otherwise we will help edit the other proposals. Um, and the next steps, I guess, from there is, is really writing the paper. So that happens within like six to eight weeks after. So it's going to be a process that's going to last a little bit throughout the summer with the idea of getting that uh, issue out in maybe October, something like that. And what type of length of articles are you looking for? Uh, so the submissions are, um, for the articles, not the proposals, are 
fixed at 2,500 words. So they're pretty short contributions in general. Uh, we like them information packed. <laughs> <laughs> Dense little packages. <laughs> Dense little packages of very, very concrete stuff. But uh, basically it can, can be any type of research. So we've, we've had people submitting um, adapted versions of their internship reports before, uh, adapted versions of their bachelor theses, or like, personally, my paper was a paper that I originally wrote for a class um, that, you know, I was exploring new data, was making a new contribution and then, you know, just submit. It's also, it's also worth something. And there is, I mean, especially as far as the proposal goes, it's 200 words. There is like very little risk involved. Um, and at that stage, it's not much of a time commitment yet, at least. Okay, so imagine it's May 2022. Yes. That's that's in a year. Yes. What would have happened for that year to be a successful year? Ooh, from now till May 2022. Yes. Yeah. So the next 365 days. I think it's just a successful year if with Corona I managed to stay sane. <laughs> and stay safe. <laughs> that's, I think that's the two big ones. Yeah, really. That should be on the priority list of everyone for now. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. always a huge to-do list, but uh, in the end, there, there are more important things out there sometimes. At the end, we always give the guest the opportunity to plug something they think is important and should be known within the, world, within the faculty, within the world. Do you, do you have something like that? Yes, I definitely do. Um, yeah, so as I was saying, I'm a big advocate for mental health and uh, I would like to get the word out to bachelors and masters that through the University of Leiden, you can get 10 counseling sessions for free uh, with the psychological uh, psych psychology departments here. Uh, and honestly, I just wish somebody had told me during my masters, it would have save me so much trouble because especially as international students we just tend to think that there are no resources for us out there or at least none that we're aware of um and we also think that well i mean which is true which is uh something that stops most people from going to counseling is the price tag um so if you need help and uh, i think a lot of people do having having been stuck with corona for this long <laughs> please do reach out to them thank you very much for listening this was the podcast for this week uh, sadly next week we'll be on excavation so there won't be a new upload but the week after most likely we'll be back so stay tuned for that and we'll see you then have a lovely day bye bye